This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. On Tuesday, Liz Cheney lost her Republican primary in Wyoming, meaning she won't return as a member of the House after the midterms this year. Two years ago, I won this primary with 73% of the vote. I could easily have done the same again. The path was clear. But that path would have meant falling in line with most of her party in backing former President Donald Trump and supporting his false claims that the 2020 election was stolen. It would have required that I enable his ongoing efforts to unravel our democratic system and attack the foundations of our republic. Right-wing Republicans celebrated the vice chair of the January 6th committee losing her seat while Democrats lamented the loss of someone they consider to be a political hero. No office in this land is more important than the principles that we are all sworn to protect. So what now? For Cheney, for the GOP, and for Congress? I'm Joan E. Grieve, in for Jonathan Friedland, and this is Politics Weekly America. Well, I, I've known the Cheney family for a, a long while, certainly going back to um, the Bush era, but even... Michael Steele um, is the former chairman of the Republican National Committee and currently a political analyst. Watching her and, and observing her in the State Department and how she was able to effectively articulate and push a policy of, of the Bush administration um, at that time. He knows Cheney well, and he remembers a time when she was a popular figure in her party. She is a conservative's conservative, as a lot of folks would say, and you've probably heard. That has animated her her views on policy, which, of course, is very interesting, funny and ironic to to watch, you know, progressives sort of lining up and defending Liz Cheney. Liz was uh, promoted to a leadership post inside the conference, which was a big deal, particularly given that all those white men never really did have any women around them to begin with. Um, So she was very well regarded, very well liked. Conservatives knew her, her bona fides, respected the, the pedigree, admired her father for his service to the country and the party. So there's, there was never any question about loyalty of the Cheney family to Republican politics in in the Republican Party. All that changed when Donald Trump decided to poison the the mind and the political vein, if you will, of the of the party, and she refused to stand for it in any way. And as we heard in her concession speech that we played in the introduction of our show, voters in Wyoming really turned their backs on Liz Cheney this week. They rejected a three-term congresswoman who, in the last couple of years, has made a name for herself as the anti-Trump Republican and has really tried her best to hold the former president accountable and has criticized her colleagues who help prop Trump up. So, Michael, can you tell us what has Congress lost with Cheney's defeat? I think in terms of her support and and the role that she 
she played and the impact that she's had, it's, it's been important. It's been uh, profound in many respects. I mean, a lot of folks overlook the fact that she voted 90% with the Trump agenda, voted for him in 2016. You know, she did the, the, the loyalty thing. Some of us refused to bite that apple in 2016 and support Donald Trump. That Republican president turned into a national nightmare. And she slowly began to try, at least internally, to convince the leadership that this is not the space we want to be in. This is not the, the gentleman we want to support. But the men were feckless. They were actually useless in that fight because they refused to push back against Trump. She did. She stood out and made a name for herself and carved out a space that, that clearly delineated the role that she would play going forward. And Liz Cheney's father, Dick Cheney, who you mentioned already, he recently made an appearance in one of her last campaign ads where he pulled no punches and called Trump, quote, a threat to our republic. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election and he lost big. Michael, that ad seemed like a pretty gutsy move, considering how much flack Cheney has gotten from Republicans for criticizing Trump. So what do you think she was trying to accomplish with that ad? Was it meant to sway undecided voters or did you view it simply as part of her last defiant stand against Trump in this race? Yeah, it was a declaration of independence. She has been on a different battle footing than most realized. And that ad was her dad's way of saying up yours, too, you know, and and making it very clear that his daughter is in the right, that the greatest threat to this this country, this democracy is not Liz Cheney, but Donald Trump. So that there was no question that I'm still the conservative firebrand I've always been. I am the former vice president of this great nation. You know, you have moved away from these principles and these ideals that defined republicanism for 160 years, not Liz. And what I find so funny is that it's not as if Liz Cheney became a Democrat overnight. As you already mentioned, Michael, Cheney actually voted with Trump more than 90 percent of the time during his presidency. But the insurrection attempt on Capitol Hill and Trump's response or more accurately, lack of response, it was really the straw that broke the camel's back for Cheney. So, Michael, why do you think that Cheney spoke out so strongly against Trump instead of just downplaying the violence of January 6th, as so many of her Republican colleagues have done? Because you couldn't, you can't do both. And that's her entire point. You cannot be both for the country and Donald Trump. And January 6th is the culmination of that point. For her, I think it was, I've got to be clear about that. We cannot leave the violence of January 6th and its causes uninvestigated. The American people deserve the full and open testimony of every person with knowledge of the planning and preparation for January 6th. From the very beginning of the January 6th hearings, she, she, you know, she basically said, you know, There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. Donald Trump will go away, but this stain is on you. The stain of January 6th is on every Republican in the House, all 143 of them who voted to overturn the election. The stain is on the Senate. The country is in that moment in moonstruck 
where Nicolas Cage says to Cher, but I love you. And she hauls off and smacks the crap out of him and says, snap out of it, you know? (laughs) And that's basically, you know, Donald Trump, we love you. And Liz Cheney is looking at the country and smacking and saying, snap out of it. So let's talk a little bit more about the January 6th hearings. I think Democrats and probably Cheney herself were hoping that those public displays where we got to listen to firsthand testimony from people who were around Trump on January 6th would convince some voters that he was at least slightly in the wrong. But it didn't necessarily happen in that way in Wyoming. In some ways, it seemed like the hearings helped villainize Cheney more. So, Michael, why do you think Cheney's voters reacted the way that they did to the January 6th hearings? I mean, the moment the moment she came out before the January 6th hearings um, to declare her independence from because remember, Liz Cheney was removed from leadership long before that. The Republican National Committee voted Friday to censure the two Republicans currently serving on the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot. The RNC chairwoman says Representatives Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, quote, crossed a line by investigating the Capitol insurrection. January 6th committee is not for the purposes of places like Wyoming or, you know, deep red, you know, Trump parts of the country. They live in denial. This committee work were for the parts of the country that are movable on this issue, who are curious about what happened, who are concerned that they had a corrupt president. And as the committee has revealed, and certainly has recent activity by the FBI has revealed, there's a lot of there there. That's having a profound impact on the November elections, running these hard right, know-nothing candidates Going into November, they're going to have to stand up in in some of these states where the the electorate is not Trumpified, and that's a very different environment for for candidates to run in who will have an opportunity to make a, a very different kind of case. So the commission's work is for the broader narrative around democracy uh, and exactly getting to the bottom of what happened on January sixth, and not so much about Liz Cheney's election fortunes. Since arriving in Congress, Cheney has been the sole House representative for Wyoming, which is the least populated state in the U.S. Nearly 70 percent of Wyoming voters supported Trump in 2020. How did Cheney's voters approach this race? Did they have other concerns besides her criticism of Trump and her work with the January 6th committee? The only difference was between 2020 and 2022 is her staunch resistance to, uh, to Trumpism. She lost by almost 40% uh, percent of the vote. These MAGA maggots, as I, as I call them, that's my term of endearment for them, they are winning elections be, with a very small percentage of the voting population of the Republican base. And Liz Cheney in her race is one example of, of how they're winning and, and why they're winning, but the other side of it, again, Liz Cheney is is an example of this is what's going to happen to you in the fall. You're going to have Republicans who support Liz Cheney. You're going to have independents who support Liz Cheney. And you're going to have Democrats who support Liz Cheney do everything they can to vote you out in these other races. What may not happen in Wyoming, but Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Georgia, 
places like that, it can have a profound impact on who controls the House and the Senate going into 23. Let's talk a little bit about Cheney's opponent, who will now likely win a seat in the House of Representatives this fall. Michael, can you tell us who is Harriet Hageman and why is she an interesting Trumpist in her own right? I have no idea who she is and I don't care. (laughs) I'm being very honest. I don't care. What I know about her is she was a never Trumper in 2016 and whatever infection she got, she got it bad and her desperation to get to Congress or to curry favor with Trump, she became this massive Trumper. President Trump was an excellent president for the United States of America and especially for the state of Wyoming. That's all I need to know. Um, she she will be of very little value or use in the United States Congress, just like um, Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates and, and, and a lot of them. After the result came out on Tuesday night, there was a flurry of responses. Democrats in particular shared their disappointment about Cheney's loss and spoke pretty highly of the congresswoman. For example, David Axelrod, a former advisor to Barack Obama, said in a tweet, quote, Through the lens of history, Liz Cheney will be remembered as a hero. Harriet Hageman, the answer to a trivia question. It sounds like you would agree with that, right, Michael? Yeah, yep, absolutely. I mean, he, he nailed it. I mean, there, there's nothing more you can say about it. That's that's the the contrast right there. One is a historic figure. The other will be an afterthought. Many of Cheney's Republican colleagues will not miss her once she leaves the House. One prominent Republican who actually replaced Cheney as the House Republican caucus chair, Elise Stefanik, referred to Cheney as, quote, Nancy Pelosi's puppet. So, Michael, what does Cheney's exit mean for bipartisanship in Congress, which is already at a low point? The one attribute that Liz Cheney does have is, uh, among many, is the ability to, to work with her Democratic colleagues while they disagree a lot on policy and being at the negotiating table in the room to, to cut the deal to get it done. And the party has moved away from anything related to making concessions and creating consensus in order to get big initiatives done. Tell me what Stefanik is pushing, what McCarthy is pushing in response to the uh, infrastructure bill. Oh, that's right. We had infrastructure day every day for four years under Republicans and they didn't get it done. You had the House and the Senate for two of those years, along with the presidency and didn't get it done. They're all about, you know, Mitch McConnell summed it up. Give us the power, then we'll tell you what we're going to do. Well, I'm sorry, that's not how that works. You need leaders in the House who are prepared to cross the aisle every once in a while and say, hey, the country needs us to get this done. Let's do it. That's going to be the test going forward. And Liz, um, I think, you know, a lot of those folks will, will miss her leadership as someone who would be a tough but verifiable uh, negotiator uh, with Democrats. And it's no surprise that Donald Trump was quick to share his response to Cheney's loss. He said, quote, Liz Cheney should be ashamed of herself, the way she acted, and her spiteful, sanctimonious words and actions toward others. Now she can finally disappear into the depths of political oblivion, where I am sure she will be much happier than she is right now. Thank you, Wyoming. Pretty strong words there, as is typical from the former president. So, Michael, do you think it's fair to say that Cheney is heading for political oblivion? What does she have planned next? This primary election is over. But now 
the real work begins. I don't know what she has planned next. Um, one, two, she will not be in oblivion. Three, Donald Trump does what Donald Trump always does, and that's project. So everything he said about Liz actually applies to him. We just wish he'd go away. If he decides to get in the race along with Liz, there'll be me and a host of others who are going to be more than prepared to further cut him down to size. As we leave here, let us resolve that we will stand together, Republicans, Democrats, and independents, against those who would destroy our republic. The mistake the Republicans made was making Liz Cheney a free agent. Because <laughs> she has, she owes loyalty to nothing and no one. The next four or five months that she has left uh, in the House <laughs> are going to be a thing of beauty. <laughs> it's just going to be, it's just going to be amazing to watch her put her colleagues on check. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, Cheney's rumored presidential run in 2024. Right now, it seems unlikely, if not impossible, for Cheney to win the Republican nomination because of Trump's ongoing hold on the party. But, Michael, do you think she would seriously consider a third party bid in 2024? No, no. I mean, there's no upside for her to do that. There's no infrastructure or organizational structure for her to do that. Her strength will be to be able to stand on that debate stage with all the boys, and especially Donald Trump, who did nothing to stop his power grab and his destruction of the party, and to call them out. You know, unless they find ways to keep her off that stage, which they might, you know, the party is in Trump's back pocket, and so they'll do everything they can to change the rules or make the rules difficult for someone like her to get on that stage. But in doing so, they'll be making it difficult for everybody else too, because they'll still they'll be just as affected by those rules as she would be. So unless the party decides to shut down any opposition to Donald Trump in a primary, yeah, she'll have a platform and she'll have a voice and she'll have a way to effectuate that, both of those, um, should the t when the time comes. And finally, we always like to ask a what else question on this podcast about something different happening in the news. But this time, we're actually going to stick with the primary results from this week. Michael, it turns out that Sarah Palin of Alaska might be back on the ballot in November. The ex-vice presidential candidate under John McCain managed to get one of four primary spots vying for a seat in the U.S. House after Representative Don Young died earlier this year. So, Michael, how likely is it that she will win a House seat in November? And what are your thoughts and feelings about that possibility? I mean, I, I know Sarah, worked with her uh, while I was RNC chairman after her, her bid for vice president. She's got a, a, a tough road to climb. Uh, you know, believe it or not, she's got a lot of baggage in Alaska with Alaska voters. And how she's able to turn that around, a, a lot of Alaskans uh, did not like the fact that she stepped away from the governorship after two years, did not like the fact that she left the state for many, many years to pursue Fox Millions. A lot of Alaskans don't consider her an Alaskan uh, any longer. I think that that's going to be 
Very interesting and dynamic race. I've seen some projections that show that she loses that, but I I wouldn't take her out of that bet against Sarah on, on that election um, going into the fall. The prospects, should she win, what that looks like, yeah, there'll be Trumpian elements, but she was a former governor. She's a former uh, VP nominee. She's not out of the same box as someone like uh, Boebert or, or Taylor Green. So she will be interesting to watch how she interacts with those individuals and and what what they do and how they respond to her. So stay tuned on Sarah Palin. Michael Steele, former RNC chairman and political analyst. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast this week. Thank you. That's all from me this week. We're on the hunt for topics that you, the listener, would like to hear more about. Send us your questions, ideas, and general comments to podcasts at theguardian.com. And if you're feeling generous, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, it's goodbye. The producers were Daniel Stevens, Chelsea Coates, and Yasmin Louis. And the executive producer was Nicole Jackson. I'm Joan E. Grieve. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.